The following is message number two of a Southeast Blending Conference held in Jacksonville, Florida on the morning of September 3rd, 2011. The title of the message is Living in the Church as the House of God, Part 2, Living in the Church as the House of the Living God, the Corporate Manifestation of God in the Flesh. And the speaker is Brother Ron Kengis. I believe that last night, uh, a few things stood out as being quite crucial and impressive. Uh, the first, I would say, is the matter of living in the church as the house of God. Living involves the totality of our existence. If you live in a certain city, your whole being is there. You work there, you sleep there, your family is there. Every part of you is there. And we contrasted this somewhat with the genuine aspect of the church as an assembly as a meeting. The basic meaning of church in Greek is an assembly called out, the called out ones. But if for us the church is only an assembly, this means that whenever we meet, either when the whole church comes together, or we're in a home, or with some companions, then and only then are we in the church. We would never minimize the meetings of the church. The writer of Hebrews exhorted us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. If we are never in meetings, then in a practical sense, we're not in the church. Depending on our situation, we might be in the church in some other way, but gathering together, meeting together, remembering the Lord, meeting to pray, meeting in mutuality, this is the basic church life. But according to God in his revelation, the church is not only an assembly. The church is God's house. And we labored to point out that to say the church is the house of God equals saying the church is the household of God. You don't always live in your house, but you are always part of your family. And your family is woven into your being. Mothers, someone criticizes one of your children, Mama Bear, 
responds. Because your inner being includes the family unit. We are children of God, born of God, possessing the life and nature of God, and we are part of the household of God. And God's will is that we live in this house, in this household, and have our entire existence here, both outwardly in meetings and in service, and inwardly. So to me, it's inconceivable if I were to move to another locality that I would not rent or buy a house suitable for the church life. I, I, it's inconceivable Amen. that the church would not be the governing factor of where I would live. I was brought into this in 1966. Dozens of families living a few minute walk from the meeting hall. But if one does not have the sense of living in the church as the house, but only meets with the church, then one can establish his or her family life any way they please. I rent a house now. I've had occasion to... I never owned a house. The bank always owned the house. I decided I'm not going to do that anymore. And I thought at first I was quite... I was quite an absolute brother when I got this house and I consecrated it to the Lord. But some years after that, and I moved to Irving, Texas, and the Lord provided temporarily until the whole neighborhood was destroyed for the airport. He provided a very suitable house for the family, for the church, and the Lord indicated, this is my house, and I let you live in it. Not, this is your house, and you let me use it. If this is not your view of the church life, I don't condemn you, but I don't understand you. Are we not here for Christ and the church? Are we not here for the carrying out of God's economy in the Lord's recovery? Are we not here for the church life? Then I live in this. You live in this. And the children grow up with this realization. 
My parents live in the church. Whether they decide to live that way is up to them. We cannot determine their destiny. Then a second crucial matter from last night related to the reality of baptism. Uh, this might have been a little unexpected for me to speak concerning baptism as a reality. But baptism is our departure from the world and our entrance into the church. Is our departure from the world and our entrance into the church. The Lord said in John 3, 5, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. In Matthew 28, 19, the Lord commissioned the disciples to baptize people into the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Then in Acts 2, when Peter stood with the eleven to announce the gospel, supported by the prayer in one accord of the hundred and twenty, three thousand were convicted. They cried out, what should we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized. They believed, they repented, they were baptized, and immediately they were added to the church. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and of prayers. They heard the gospel, they believed, they repented, they were baptized. The reality of baptism is that we have been immersed into the being of the processed and consummated triune God. And it is here in God that we have the church as the house of God. We'll see, God is not a separate person from the household. He is in every member of the household. To be in the house or the household is to be in God himself. When Paul wrote the Thessalonians, he said to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. I say this not to accuse anyone, not to condemn anyone, but we may not have much consciousness of where we are. Even when we come to a meeting, it's an assembly, it's a gathering. 
The Lord very much wants to cultivate in us the realization that we have been baptized into him. We are members of his household. And that the church is the place where the located God lives. You just imagine being invited to live in the White House. To have access to every part of it. To live there. Wouldn't this affect your being? That you now live in this place? You're part of the household of the president? Well, our situation is immeasurably higher than this. We have been born of God. We are children of God. And the church of which we are part, is God's dwelling place. It's not his motel. It's not his second home. It's not a vacation home. It's his dwelling place. He revealed to Moses, build me the dwelling place that I may dwell among you. And our eternal destiny is to dwell in God as the temple, as God dwells in us as the tabernacle. This is where we are heading. Then the remaining item that we tried to emphasize was in the church as the house of God, we come to know God. First, as the located God, God is omnipresent. That's an attribute in the Godhead, but it pleases him to locate himself in Christ, in the church, and in the new Jerusalem. The glory of God filled the tabernacle. The glory of God filled the temple. Unto him be glory in the church. The new Jerusalem has the glory of God. Now, realizing that God is localized... We come to know God in a different way from anything we have ever known before. And this is not a mere outward thing. I have a problem, I go to some brothers and we pray. That is practical, that is precious, that is important, but it's not intrinsic. 
What is intrinsic is that we realize I am in the dwelling place of God, Bethel. I live here. And here God reveals himself as the God of the house. Jacob would say, I knew him as the God of Abraham and of Isaac and as my God. Eventually he became to Jacob the God of the house, the triune God who is all sufficient for those who are one with him in his dwelling place. Now we go on. Uh, and this is a major step on living in the church as the house of the living God, the corporate manifestation of God in the flesh. I have the sense now to try to open up the thoughts uh, in this particular title. We've established we ourselves are not only meeting, we are living in the church as the house of God. Now, what kind of God is living here? If you're invited to live in the home of a certain person, You're in his house. Your living will be determined by the kind of person he is. It's his house. And with the house, there's an economy. There's an arrangement. Even the word economy is oikonomia. Oiko, oikos, the house. The law of the house. And what we're about to touch might, it might shock us. It should awaken us. God is not dead here. He is the living God. In John 6, the Lord Jesus said, I am the bread of life. That refers to the nature of the bread. He also said, I am the living bread. That refers to the condition of the bread. <clears throat> to say that God is living, indicates he is active, he is moving, he is working, he is vital, he is dynamic, he is energetic. This is the kind of God 
in whose house, the church, we are living. I'd like to read some verses from Hebrews. Hopefully that this will serve to impress us. Chapter 3, verse 12. Beware, brothers, lest perhaps there be in any one of you an evil heart of unbelief in falling away from the living God. This was addressed to the Hebrew believers in the church. And the writer was concerned that due to an evil heart of unbelief, they would depart from or turn away, desert, stand aloof from the living God. It's altogether possible to be in the church in such a way that we have actually departed from the living God. To us, God is not living, and we are not living, and no one who comes to the Lord's table meeting right on time would consider that this is a living gathering. We can only say we're the church meeting on the ground of the oneness of the body of Christ. But who would say God is living? The living God is punctual. The living God is alert. He's active. He's exercised. He's moving. Can we stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I have never departed from the living God? The church is not simply the house of God. God is laid back. God is taking a rest. It's really peaceful here. No, this is a vibrant, vital, active dwelling place. Then in chapter 9, verse 14, the writer says, How much more? Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So our serving is the serving of a living God I'm so happy that this verse is here because it gives me a way out of my condition 
the blood of Christ purifying our conscience from dead works. When you came into the meeting this morning, did you come with a purified conscience? Did you have the thought, the realization, that as one living in the old creation physically, with a body of sin and a body of death, that you need the cleansing of the blood of Jesus? Would you go to the table of an honorable person to whose dinner you have been invited with dirty hands, with an unkempt appearance? Our God is very merciful to us that we may come carelessly even to the Lord's table, not taking adequate time to receive the Lord's enlightening and cleansing. But when we do, when the blood is applied to our conscience, God becomes the living God to us. And we serve the living God. Then in chapter 10, verse 31, and we should be prepared, this is a word of government, of warning. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This points to the responsibility side that eventually we may be in the hands of a God who is very determined to carry out his intention with us. On the one hand, and this is the stronger hand of the two, it's so encouraging to see you once a year or twice a year and to sense the increase of Christ, the growth in life, the development of function. On the other hand, and this is the weaker hand, but it is a hand, it's so sad to see this person, that person, after 10 years, no growth in life at all. He has no idea where he is. No idea of the unreality he manifests. And this is not a training. Even in a training, we can just dip below the surface. So no one can tell him in love and faithfulness. You have not grown in the 15 years 
I've been visiting Florida. You tell that to a sister, she'll cry. You tell that to a brother, he'll get angry. So we don't want to see the sisters crying. We don't want to see the brothers losing their temper. So we leave you alone for another 10 years. Eventually, God will say, let me take care of it. Let this one be in my hands now. And I will touch him. This is not a threat, but this is a warning. We're not playing around here. This is not a religious thing we're in. This is not a new and improved version of Christianity. We're talking about the house of the living God. Then the remaining verse is Hebrews 12, 22. But you have come forward to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So Hebrews emphasizes the living God. Uh, I am a slave of Christ among you. I have no right to speak this on my own, and I have no right to hold back. I think of that verse in 1 Thessalonians 2, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but God, who tries our hearts. Several years ago, Brother Dave Lutz and Ron Mador and I, in January, drove around much of Florida, visiting the churches. Suppose we could somehow do this at the speed of light. And I was in Miami last Lord's Day. Would you describe the church in Miami as living? As a testimony of the house of the living God? What about Gainesville? Tallahassee, soon to be established as a church. Athens, Georgia, Anaheim, Moscow, Delhi, London, Berlin, Pretoria. God is the living God. The bread we break, among other things, 
signifies the living bread. Do you have a living morning revival? Actually, do you have a revival? A revival means a fresh influx, an inflow of life. When I speak of being living, I don't mean to be physically demonstrative. To be living is to be active in your spirit. To be alert, to be in tune, to be one, to be moving with the Lord, to sense his flowing. That's to be living. I was in a meeting in Eldon Hall in 1970. It was an informal training. And we thought we were quite living. So all of us, except one, stood up on our chairs. I'm glad this was in the days before videotaping, <laughs> camcorders, and this and that. And, and all of us, except one, stood up on our chairs and we were expressing something, thinking we're outside of religion, we are living. And of course, the one exception was Brother Lee. And he said nothing that night. I admire his forbearance. Then we came the next night, <clears throat> because we're meeting about five times a week in the evening. And then he asked as a father, what was the point of that? What was the meaning of that? Do you think that indicates that you're living? I'm talking about our inward condition of being vital, vibrant, fresh, renewed, up to date. The Lord covered the brother. I was so thankful that at a certain point, our brother stood up and asked us to sing 841, and we sang it in a particular way. Of the three singings, that was living a little bit. On the living, um, you know, livingness, ometer, from zero to a hundred, you know, it might have been 27. But it's better than zero. The Lord appeared to John in Revelation 1, said, I am the living one. I am living forevermore. 2 Corinthians 3, 3 speaks of the spirit of the living God. The house of God, the church, is the house of the living God. If you are in this house, in the deadness of passivity, 
you dishonor the house. Now, I'm aware the enemy is prepared to use this word for his advantage. We should come to the gatherings just as we are, trusting in the Lord's mercy, grace, and cleansing blood. But we come with the realization he is the living God. I'm coming to the house of the living God. This has been a hard period of time. I hardly know where I am. I don't know whether I'm living or not. But I'm coming to the place where the living God dwells. This is very precious to our merciful Father. But how much better if we had the consciousness that the church in which we live is the dwelling place of the living God and we'd like to learn to be living in Him and with Him all the time. I don't know if very many of you ever met a faithful co-worker who has been with the Lord for quite a while, Abraham Chang. He was a ranking officer in the army. He was saved in, at middle age. And he ministered among us until he was somewhat elderly. And brotherly remarked concerning him to me, he is living. Actually, the young are not that living. They're energetic. They're active. They should be. They're young. But to be living means that you allow the living, vital, triune God to burn and flow in your being all the time. Amen. You may not have much energy. You may not be feeling that well. You may not know in what time zone you're in. According to your soul, according to your body, who knows what your state is, but your spirit is living. So you pray, you call, you sing, you function, you praise, whatever it is. Then the other part of the title, it's an apposition, not opposition. Sometimes a little grammar helps, although it's such a boring subject in junior high and high school. But it's good to know that apposition means these things are parallel. They are equal. So the church as the house of the living God is equal to the corporate manifestation of God in the flesh. 
Now, listen to this from 1 Timothy 3, 15 and 16, the part of 16. But if I delay, I write that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and base of the truth, and confessedly great is the mystery of godliness. He is instructing Timothy on how he should conduct himself in the church. And he points out to Timothy, the church is the house of the living God. Then he indicates, he doesn't point out Paul, he indicates by the context this church has something to do with the manifestation of God in the flesh. I looked up the word manifest and manifestation is to make something visible. It's to demonstrate It is to exhibit. It is to express. This is to manifest. God wants to be manifested. In the flesh. Not by the flesh. Not through the flesh. But in the flesh. That God became a man. The Word became flesh, the God-man Jesus, and he expressed God. The church is the enlarged manifestation of God in the flesh. If you look into a basic book, on the church, the practical expression of the church, you will find a chapter entitled The Function of the Church. Now, this is not a training, not even for FDTA alumni. So I just ask the question, not asking, not hoping for an answer. What is the function of the church? The basic function of the church is to express God in Christ. That is to manifest God in Christ. The house of the living God is simultaneously the corporate manifestation of God. With respect to the house of the living God, the sin or the shortcoming is deadness. With respect to the church as the corporate manifestation of God in the flesh, the error 
is expressing the self. There's a verse in the Psalms somewhere. Maybe it's Psalm 29. I know it's in the book. Chapter and verse, they're just not in the memory bank, not accessible right now. It says, in his temple, everything says glory. Ephesians 3, unto him be glory in the church. Now, we are children in the house of God. Not that many have developed into mature sons. We're children. And children learn to live in the family. No one expects an infant to just know how to be this, how to be that. The children have to learn. So God, whose house this is, and whose father, and who, whose children we are, he's not here pointing the finger, wagging the finger, oh, you're so dead, you're so this, you just express yourself. You just dishearten the children. Paul admonishes the fathers, don't do this. You dishearten them. So our father, I believe with a gentle firmness, wants us, his children, to know we're part of his household. We're part of his house. He wants us to live by his life in a way that matches where we are. And in this message, the two primary features or characteristics are to be a living person and to be a God-expressing person. Now, one other matter for this initial speaking, and that is in 1 Timothy 4, verse 7. But profane and old womanish myths refuse, and exercise yourself unto godliness. Then Paul goes on to speak of bodily exercise. Bodily exercise is profitable for a little. I fully endorse bodily exercise for health. And you might be committed to this. And you came to this hotel with your gear. You got your sweats, you got your Nikes or your Reeboks. One of the first things you did was to find out where the fitness center is. And uh, you got on the treadmill or the elliptical machine. And on the treadmill, you put it up to 15 degrees, the maximum incline. 
and you exercise your body for 40 minutes. Very good. Did you exercise your spirit for five minutes? If you exercise your body for 40 minutes, and I recommend it, I endorse it. When I'm home, I endeavor to practice this. But while I'm proceeding in the park with my walking poles, they're not canes, they're walking poles, <laughs> my dear wife got for me the Nordic skiers in the summer. You exercise your core while you're moving and I'm going through the park. I don't care if I look funny. Because what I'm doing is I am exercising my spirit. If you exercise your body more than you exercise your spirit, you are sending yourself a message. Do you know that? Here's the message. Your body is more important to you than your spirit. That's why you're so conscious of health, this and this, organic, this and this, Shackley, this, so-and-so, that, low carbs, this, high protein, that. I'm not saying you shouldn't. And it's easy for you to talk about this, to promote this. But look at the real situation. Bodily exercise profits a little. How much do you exercise the spirit? Now, how do we know this exercise unto godliness is the exercise of the spirit? Well, verse 8 makes it clear this is not physical. And the first part of verse 7 says to refuse profane and old womanish myths. That's the vain exercise of the mind. So there is the exercise unto godliness. Now, this is crucial. There's an equation. 1 Timothy 3, 15 and 16a plus 1 Timothy 4, 7 equals the genuine church life. The church is the corporate manifestation of God in the flesh. In order for a local church to be this, we must exercise ourselves unto godliness. And godliness is not merely piety. Godliness is a life of expressing God from within you.
I say this with concern, with a heart of love, yet with a heavy heart. And I'll limit this to the Western world. We have very much neglected the exercise of the Spirit. Exercise, for me at least, is almost always something I don't feel like doing. To get from my bed outside with my walking poles, with my gear on, my walking shoes, is an act of will. Not willpower, but will. I am awake. I need to exercise. I will sit up. I will get up. I will suit up. I will move out of the bedroom, greet my wife, go get my walking sticks, and begin to move. No one can do this for me. Don't wait for an angel to come to stir up the water. You are a human being. You're not a robot. The apostolic command is to exercise yourself. One of the striking characteristics to the glory of the Lord of the churches in Taiwan is the strong exercise of the Spirit. If I were to simultaneously somehow visit all your localities on the Lord's Day, would I see the exercise of the Spirit? I don't mean now outward activity. I mean the exercise of the Spirit. I know the situation. I come to my district in Anaheim, 10 o'clock, no, 9.30, the meeting starts. Less than a fourth of the saints are there. And those that are there are passive. Is this the church? Is this the house of the living God? Is this the corporate manifestation of God in the flesh? Is this how one should conduct himself in the house of God? I am not nostalgic. I do not long for the good old days of Eldon Hall. Eldon Hall was elementary school. It was like my sixth grade in elementary school. That's the best grade to teach. They're at the maximum of childhood, then they disintegrate in junior high. How anyone can teach junior high, I don't know. Then they reintegrate later. 
And that was my best year. I was captain of the safety patrol and all of this. So Eldon Hall was like our sixth grade. You can't go back there again. But we lost something. And the loss is everywhere, at least in the U.S. If not everywhere, at least in most places. The exercise of the Spirit. The inward preparation for the meeting. The realization we're coming to meet together with the Lord. When we had the Lord's table in the evening, almost no one would come on time. To come on time would be to be late. Most were there half an hour early. But I've been in other meetings where a religious elder would exhort the saints to please do this and to please do that and to come on time. Then a visiting brother gave another religious exhortation. And strangely, that evening, due to circumstances beyond my control, I was a little late for the Lord's table meeting. And everyone was there and the meeting place was filled and they were all singing. And I dare to say this sincerely. I realized this is false. This will not last two weeks. This is false. This is a religious reaction to a religious word about fulfilling a religious duty in a religious way. I would rather bear the not-so-good situation as the Spirit of God is working in the saints in a personal way, one by one, to touch them. Then you have the sense, this is real. So please do not interpret this as some appeal to make yourself different for a day. To vow and promise that you'll never be late to a meeting again and we'll see you tripping in at 7.50 because you couldn't find the left shoe of your three-year-old to get her to the children's meeting in time. By the way, this is a little sidebar. Always find the kids' shoes while they're sleeping Saturday night. <laughs> if you wait to look for them in the morning, <clears throat> you're bound for trouble. Been there, done that a lot. As the Lord revives us, 
as he vitalizes us, we will become living. I'm not a young man. I'm not a middle-aged man. I'm not going to cavort around in a way that some may think is living. Livingness is a matter in the spirit of being one with the living God. And that's what I want. And you know what I believe? I say I believe, meaning I trust in the Lord's mercy. I believe that the older I become physically, the more living I will be in the Spirit. Amen. It's not a matter of physical energy. It's a matter of being one Spirit with the living God Amen. and letting Him flow. The most living person that I know is about 92 years old, a sister. Every time I happen to meet her, life flows. Her inner being is living. And this is the characteristic of the church. The God who lives here is living and the God who lives here longs to be expressed through our functioning by the exercise of the Spirit in faith. Having the same Spirit of faith we speak. So when the microphones are set up in about 20 minutes, and you have the sense to come forward and say something. You come in faith, meaning you trust in the living God. And you come exercising the Spirit. In the early 1980s, Brother Lee was having a meeting on a Thursday morning with all those serving in the Living Stream office with the volunteers that came in on Thursday. So though there were several dozen. And Brother Lee was leading us in fellowship and the atmosphere was so peaceful. I had the liberty to ask him something. And I knew I would be exposing myself, but I wanted to receive his help. I said, Brother Lee, why is it that when I'm in a meeting of the church in Anaheim, I feel that I'm back in the Presbyterian church? That's my feeling. He did not object to that. I don't remember all he fellowshiped, but I'll mention now, I don't gloat over this. He said, Ron's feeling is right. 
So I wasn't critical. I wasn't deceived. This was the old way. One man speaking. De facto clergy laity. And my spirit is telling me, this is the church. It remains the church, but it's dead. The Lord's heart, which he is opening to us, is that he is calling us, inviting us, asking us to reconsider our situation before him and to afford him the opportunity to flow into us, to renew us, to restore us, to revive us, to recover us, to mend us in the way of life. And we know from the Lord speaking to the church in Laodicea that he is knocking at the door of the church. So he's actually outside the church. It's the church in Laodicea. The Lord himself recognized, you're a church. But I'm outside. That means you are having your church life without me. And he's knocking at the door. He doesn't have a battering ram. He doesn't blow the door open. He's knocking at the door of the church. Then he says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. This is the nature of his speaking. He is knocking on the door of the church, of your church. But the hearing of his voice and the opening of the door must be personal. There needs to be a sister. Could be very young, could be quite elderly. Or a brother. That will open the door on behalf of the whole church. Lord, I open the door. Come in. And the Lord said, I will come in. We will dine together. We will feast together. We will have sweet enjoyment. Okay, this is what is needed. You want to be an overcomer? I want to be an overcomer. You aspire to be an overcomer? I also aspire. Overcomers open the door. You don't need the permission of the elders because you're a man-pleasing or man-fearing person. For this, you don't need anyone's permission. You just open the door. Then, sisters, you don't come to the next meeting and tell us how you opened the door and how every one of us has to open the door just like you. 
Now yourself has taken over. Just be in the church as someone who has opened the door. And you just exercise to express the Lord you are enjoying. And it will affect others. Now we can go through the outline. And all the points should help to make clear the aspects of the burden. The church is the house of the living God. The house of God is the household of God. The dwelling place, the house, and the family, the household, are one entity. A group of called, regenerated ones indwelt by God himself. Okay, called, amen. Regenerated, amen. Indwelt by God. Do you realize God is in you? The household of God is composed of many, the many sons of God, as the many brothers of Christ, the firstborn son of God. If you've been affected by the feminism at the University of Georgia, and you say, why no daughters of God? Why no sisters of Christ? Well, from God's point of view, we are all sons. We are all brothers. And from God's point of view, we are all the wife. And so he cuts across this kind of thought. The father is not a separate member of his household, but is in all the children. So the father's here. I can't see him. The father is in all the children. The house of God is organic in the divine life. Organic in the divine nature. And organic in the triune God. Because the church is organic, the church grows. I think it's okay to say this. The churches in southern Florida are organic. And because the church is organic, the church grows. And when the church grows, it spreads. And you know what? Before the end of this year, there will be a fresh church tree planted and growing in Fort Lauderdale. How good. And how good to fellowship with the brothers, to sense the peace, the purity, the genuineness of this development. In speaking of the church as the house of God, Paul refers to God as the living God. The living God who lives in the church, 
must be subjective to the church and not merely objective. That is, he's in us, in our spirit. We exercise our spirit to contact him. Because God is living. The church as the house of God is also living in him, by him, and with him. A living God and a living church live, move, and work together. But if you take being living as a thing, the next step will be to behave in a certain way that you think is living. That's false. Children are really living. All of their behavior is spontaneous to the uttermost. They don't think I'm a child. A child should be living and active. Therefore, I will behave in a living and active way so my mommy is happy with me. You have to be a self-conscious adult to do everything deliberately, legally, formally, officially, and one lee after another until we give up and realize in myself I'm a dead man in a tomb. The living one is God himself. I need to touch the living God in my spirit. When I touch the living one, he lives in me as the living one. The church is living in him, by him, and with him. A living God and a living church live, move, and work together. I'm not trying to prescribe the behavior of anyone. But I believe that if certain leading brothers in certain places would receive this word, the next time they come together for their meeting, they might have the leading to kneel down before the Lord and cry out for themselves and for the church. Lord, do we bear the testimony that our God is living. We can sing it. Our God is living. Say hallelujah. He's living in us. Say hallelujah. We taste his riches. He is our portion. Just say, O oh Lord, to taste and see. It's good to sing that. But you may sing about God being living, but God is not living in you as you're singing about the living God. The last thing I look for is some attempts at outward self-improvement. We need to know God. We need to touch God. The spirit of the living God. The resurrected Christ as the living one. We just touch him. And then we realize by the sense of life, something's going on in my spirit. The church as the house of God, the Father's house, is the enlarged, universal, divine human incorporation as the issue of Christ being glorified by the Father with the divine glory 
the Father and the Son dwell in each other, that is coherence and that is incorporation. When the Lord was glorified through resurrection, he entered into us and we entered into him. And at that time, we realized there's a place for us in the Father's house. You know, there's a longing in you, whether you know it or not. And there's a longing in the Father concerning you, whether you know it or not. And that is you would simply be in that place prepared by the Son in the Father's house for you. The first verse the Lord opened to me when I first touched the Lord's recovery in September 1966 was in my Father's house are many abodes. I prepare a place for you. And I had the sense, I'm home. You know what's in my heart? It's so simple. I just want to be here with you all. Really, everything's all right in the Father's house. We all have a place prepared. We should not compare our place with others. We should not aspire to relocate. The only rest is to be where God has put us. In a very real sense, the Father is not that happy now. There are tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of believers all over the earth. Many of them love the Lord very much. But hardly anyone is home. The Father's home in the Son with a few who have returned. But the Lord has a recovery. The many may not come home. They may never hear the word to come home. But wasn't that your sense? After your first meeting, home. Many of us can say this, home. No one taught you that. Your being told you, I'm home. I simply want to be here with my brothers and sisters forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The church as the house of God is the corporate manifestation of God in the flesh. God's manifestation was first in Christ as an individual expression in the flesh. The New Testament does not say that the Son of God was incarnated. It reveals that God was manifested in the flesh. God was manifested in the flesh not only as the Son, but as the entire God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Yes, God sent forth His Son. But when the Son came, he came with the Father in him, and he came by the Spirit. Where one is, the three are. The entire God, and not only God the Son, was incarnated. Hence, Christ in his incarnation was the entire God manifested in the flesh. 
in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All the fullness of the Godhead refers to the entire Godhead, to the fullness of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. 1 Timothy 3, 15 and 16 indicates that not only Christ himself as the head is the manifestation of God in the flesh, but also the church as the body of Christ and the house of God is the manifestation of God in the flesh, the mystery of godliness. There should be a sense of mystery about the church. Where some come in our midst and they realize there's something indescribable here. There's something inexplicable, something mysterious. That is a good sense. That means you are sensing there is some amount of expression of the triune God in these human beings. That is a wonderful thing to behold. I saw a young brother after the meeting. He, he was one who prophesied. I did not know who he was. When I saw him, I just spontaneously said to him, you honored the Lord by speaking. He went to the microphone, maybe saved less than a year, well shepherded by a brother there. And then he follows the sense to come to the microphone, not comparing himself as a young man with this not young man, just coming in faith and manifesting God in one minute speaking. Godliness in verse 16 re refers not only to piety, but to the living of God in the church. That is, God has life lived out in the church to be expressed. When I say, when I, and this was the weak other hand, when I say this one, that one hasn't grown, what is my criterion? I'm not spying, I'm not judging. What I'm saying is, there is no increase of the expression of God in you. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, Beholding and reflecting is a mirror. You know, we, the glory of the Lord, we are all transformed into the same image from glory to glory. It's not from zero and then we're raptured. It's from zero to a little glory. A year goes by, a little more. Two years go by, more. Ten years, more. That's normal. That's a child growing up. You're four, now you're six. Now you're 12. Now you're 16. Now you're 18. Now you're 21. Now you're 25. But for a child not to grow, and for the parents not to feel, what is that? 
I need to, to tell you this again. Brother Lee had a training in 1980, a serious training with Anaheim and Huntington Beach. He wouldn't release the tapes anywhere else. And his burden was, does your growth in life match your years in the church? It was a training, so he singled out a brother who had been a co-worker with him in the Philippines in the 50s. And he said to him, you have not grown an inch in 30 years. But this brother, by disposition, made a joke of everything. He wasn't stricken by that. No indication that he went to the Lord about that. If he had been sober, he would have contacted Brother Lee and say, Brother Lee, thank you for being faithful. I, I believe your word. Please help me. I don't want to stay the same. But he didn't do that. And nine years later, he left. 1989. Then in the 1990s, I saw him again in a Chinese restaurant. Now it's been 43 years. Still the same. And a few years later, from a dear sister who knows him very well, she said this. He developed cancer. It was incurable. It could not be treated. And in the very last days of his life, he was still going out for Chinese food, having a good time. Almost 50 years of no growth. I realize by the Lord's arrangement, I can only do a little bit as one of the brothers. I can't go here and do that, go there and open that. But one thing that weighs on my heart all the time, because we're talking about beloved brothers and sisters, not felons, not wrongdoers, members of the household, Year after year, decade after decade, no increase of God in them. And then this is complicated by the fact you can't touch them. So you just stay here. Year after year, the same. Deceived by your knowledge. Defining yourself into a reality that you don't possess. But our God is long-suffering, he's forbearing, and he's merciful. Maybe over this weekend, a little light will shine. And he'll realize, Lord, this is my situation. 
I can only give myself to you and open myself to you and pray that you will cause me to grow. Which would you prefer? You know, the, the other four messages will have a different burden. Tonight we will be, oh, we will be, if not in ecstasy, pretty close when we get into the enjoyment side. What would you like me to be? What would you like me to say? I believe your spirit thrives on the genuineness, on the truthfulness of the apostolic ministry. We just want to be in the from glory to glory. No one will be transfigured tonight. I tell the trainees, no one has yet been raptured at graduation. All the teaching brothers are still here being trained. But just as your little child is growing, you should be growing. And that growth means more expression of God. The church life is the expression of God. Therefore, the mystery of godliness is the living of a proper church. God is manifested in the church, the house of God and the body of Christ, as the enlarged corporate expression in the flesh. The manifestation of God in the flesh that began with Christ continues with the church, which is the increase, enlargement, and multiplication of the manifestation of God in the flesh. This is Christ lived out of the church as the manifestation of God. God manifested in the flesh in a wider way according to the New Testament principle of incarnation. The principle of incarnation is that God enters into man and mingles himself with man to make man one with himself. So now you're becoming more and more human. You're not this spiritual giant. You speak in a normal way and the people sense there is something of God in this person's manner of speaking. That's incarnation. The principle of incarnation means that divinity is brought into humanity and works with humanity. The great mystery of godliness is that God has become man so that man may become God in life and nature, but not in the Godhead to produce a corporate God-man for the manifestation of God in the flesh Eventually, this brings us to the high peak of the divine revelation. I know full well this has been uh, a lengthy and substantial message. It's about 10 to 12. And George, I hope this is okay. I would suggest this, that again, we pray for about a minute with someone nearby. Then I would ask, please, please, that any saints 30 and over would come to the mic. There's a time for the new ones, the young ones to speak. But this word needs your 
confirmation. It's almost desperate that you would just follow the Spirit no matter where you're sitting, no matter who you are. And please come to the microphone and speak for a minute something that will confirm the Lord's Word. So let's pray, and then maybe 15 or 20 of us will have the Lord's leading to share something. Amen.